BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Prince William turns 40 and wades into political waters. Questions emerge about the bullying accusations against Meghan Markle. And Tina Brown says Prince Harry poses a bigger threat to the monarchy than Prince Andrew. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And happy 40th birthday to you, Prince William, who is our top story of the day. Apologies for my bad singing. (laughs) That's right. The Duke of Cambridge turned 40 on the 21st of June, and members of the royal family, of course, showered him with all the usual praise. They noted his commitment to the environment, young people, mental health. But there was a little bit more going on this year than the usual royal fanfare. Indeed. In addition to, you know, doing a bit of charitable work for the homeless and thanking the public for their well wishes on his birthday, William also dipped his toes into the political waters on Windrush Day, which commemorates the Commonwealth Nationals who helped rebuild the country after World War II. William said Caribbean members of the Windrush generation were, quote, victims of racism and, quote, profoundly wronged by the UK government when they were wrongly classed as illegal migrants. And he didn't just speak in the past tense. He also referenced his recent trip to the Caribbean, um, which was widely viewed as a car crash tour. Um, him and Kate <laughs> went out there. <laughs> we covered it. We've, you may, hopefully, you've been listening to our podcast because you will have heard all about it. Um, but William said, our trip was an opportunity to reflect and we learned so much, not just about the different issues that matter most to the people of the region, but also how the past weighs heavily on the present. Um, and he added, discrimination remains an all too familiar experience for black men and women in Britain in 2022. Yes, this is in a lot of ways breaking rank from the kinds of things that um, would be said by royals in the past. But, you know, it's happening a little bit more often, a little bit more and more. Notably, his father, Prince Charles, uh, recently spoke out about refugees. And I'll let you explain that a little bit more, Jack. Yeah, so this is all starting to get... If you're American and you're listening to this, obviously we hopefully have some UK listeners too, but if you're American, a lot of this stuff is going to sound quite alien because, in all honesty, it's very much about UK politics. But (coughs) immigration has been a massive bombshell issue in Britain for years now, um, particularly under successive Conservative Prime Ministers, starting with David Cameron. And this is where the Windrush scandal really kicks in. Um, Under David Cameron, they introduced something called the Hostile Environment Policy on Immigration. And what that meant was that they were basically going to try to make it so difficult to be in Britain if you're an immigrant, especially without documentation, that people would just go home. You know, they really made it a a campaigning political issue um, where they were trying to basically tell the public that they were anti-immigration. And what happened was a whole load of people who came to Britain after the Second World War rebuilt Britain after it was 
devastated during the Second World War, who were invited to come, um, got either threatened with deportation, deported, or taken to immigration detention centres because they didn't have the documentation dating back to the four, late 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Um, and the government itself had also destroyed a lot of the documentation that it had, the landing cards that would have proved their case for them. So this was, by the time, you know, it only really came out through the media and through protestations coming from um, people in the Caribbean, you know, coming from Caribbean governments. Uh, it ended with the government paying millions out in compensation, which I think they're still doing. Um, but what William's done here is he has basically criticised the government and said that the behaviour of the Home Office was profoundly wrong. So that is territory that you do not ordinarily expect a, a royal family member to get into because it's critical of government policy. Um, but the you mentioned Charles as well and his mm -hmm. comments on Rwanda. Now, that is a live issue right now. And so that yes. st we've still got a Conservative government. We've got a different Prime Minister and Boris Johnson. But the Conservatives are still doing the same kind of stuff. And the latest thing is they want to um, send asylum seekers to Rwanda, uh, 4,000 miles away, to be processed. Um, so if their asylum claims were then successful, they would no doubt be brought back to Britain, or if unsuccessful, um, returned to another country, I suppose, have they thought it through? Who on earth knows? Um, but <laughs> it's a hugely, hugely controversial policy, and Charles said basically that it was awful. Um, he made these comments privately, and they were leaked to the media. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but we have to note that Charles and William, um, William in particular, they're not just sticking to UK politics here. William has also dipped his toe into American politics. Days before his birthday, it was revealed that he reached out to the grieving partner of Brian Sicknick. He's the police officer who was murdered by insurrectionists during the attack on the US Capitol. And the grieving Sandra Garza, that Sicknick's partner, told CNN he reached out to honor Brian's memory. Yes, absolutely. So this is another really interesting one. And William basically said that um, it was thanks to people like Brian Sicknick that democracy was upheld, which is a really interesting choice of words, because there's a couple of things going on there. One of which is that it suggests that the rioters were wrong and should have been stopped, mm -hmm. which is perhaps the less controversial end of it. But needless to say, it is still political and it is still taking a side in a live dispute. But also, Democracy was upheld, feels like it's starting to angle a little bit towards saying that the result of the election was the correct one um, and shouldn't be overturned. Now, he hasn't been too explicit about that, but democracy was upheld when the, when the riots were stopped. Does feel like he's saying democracy was done when the election happened in November. Um, and now Trump is not at all popular in Britain. Um, and that's cross party, you know, people on the right and people on the left tend to oppose him, except on the very far right. Um, his approval ratings in Britain are not quite as bad as Prince Andrew's, but they're also not a million miles away either. Um, about 70% of people in Britain dislike Donald Trump. So William may have calculated that he will be on the same side as the overwhelming majority of Brits. But needless to say, I mean, this is a US political issue. And the kind of charged nature of any royal intervention, intervention into politics is massively ramped up when you engage in elections, number one, and two, overseas elections, the elections of other countries, then it becomes a diplomatic issue, um, which is increases the risk that he's taking. Yeah. 
And I'm all for it. I'm like, yeah, speak the truth here. I mean, these were rioters. They're murderers. What they were doing was, in my opinion, anti-democracy. And um, I, I think that extending a little bit of kindness to more or less a widow in this case, it's a compassionate thing to do. And also, I mean, we can't always expect the royals to stay silent on things. The never complain, never explain thing. Maybe sometimes they should complain. Maybe they should explain. And maybe they should be on the right side of history. I've said this on this show many times before. Being on the right side of history is not necessarily political. It's just the right thing to do. And, you know, whether that is, you know, murdering a police officer at the Capitol in the U.S. or it's institutionalized racism and policies that are discriminating against immigrants, Either of those things, speaking out about that, in my opinion, is the right side of history. But also, yes, I do understand a lot of people are just going to say, that's not your realm. Stay in the castle. You should not be talking about this. But I'm totally fine with it. How how about you, Jack? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. It does feel like William is starting to get stuck into some of the exact things that we've been talking about on this podcast since we started it (laughs) in the first place, which is that he has this, um, he has this dilemma that the kind of old guard have their own way of doing things, which is very much to just simply, you know, not allow anybody to ever know what their opinion is about anything. And this is what people say about the Queen. She's unknowable and people just simply don't know what she thinks about anything. But, you know, the world does change and times do move on. And uh, the younger generation today do expect public figures to take a stance and to stand up for what's right. And one thing that's quite interesting, particularly about the timing of this shift in strategy for William, is that we've been at Newsweek have been charting the way that the youngest generation in Britain, um, so not even millennials, but the upper end of Gen Z, who are, you know, the aspects of Gen Z who are old enough to be polled, because we don't know what the younger side of Gen Z think. But the aspects of Gen Z, they're old enough to be polled, have started to go a little bit sour on William and the monarchy to the point of being divided, not totally against, but divided in a way that the older generations are positive and they contain both a positive and a negative element. So it does feel a lot like William's come off the back of that Caribbean tour. He's seen how everything went wrong and he's now realising that by the time he becomes king, he is going to be king for the generation that are growing up now. And so he has to speak to them because they are going to be his audience. Yeah. I think it's interesting also how our ideas of what is political and what is just right, how those things change over time too. I mean, in the past, it may have been considered, oh, it's too political. Don't speak about, you know, women's rights not to be sexually harassed in the workplace. Oh, that's so political. Are you a feminist? Be quiet. Shut your mouth. You know, and you know, that's changed over the years where we can vocally say, yes, women should not be sexually harassed at work. And that's not a political statement. That's just saying what's right versus what's wrong. And I I feel like, thankfully, a lot of the world is starting to feel that way about racism as well. Finally, it's long overdue. This is not necessarily a political thing. It's about what's right and wrong. Racism is wrong. Treating immigrants and refugees like they're garbage it's wrong. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for that, that, you know, tiny little baby steps that we're making toward that. And I think you're absolutely right, Jack, that when it comes to Gen Z, they also just see this as, is it right or is it wrong? Yeah, absolutely. And they, if they are of the view that it's wrong, 
they fully expect people to be able to stand up and take a stance on that. And I think William may well have calculated on both these two that we've been talking about that he he will probably have calculated that the America has seen the writing on the wall with Trump and he's assuming that Trump is not probably even going to be the candidate um, in the next presidential election and certainly not going to be the president again. Um, and I think if he felt that there was a chance that Trump might wind up back in the White House, he would probably not have made these made these comments. Although actually, having said that, the letter was sent in November 2021. Mm-hmm. So it was some time ago that he actually put pen to paper. Um, with the Windrush scandal, he the government has paid out compensation, which I suppose is an admission of fault. But it is needless to say, I mean, that is a, a stain on the reputation of the Conservative Party. Different Prime Minister... But needless to say, you know, it's actually the last two prime ministers because Theresa May, who followed David Cameron, was in the Home Office at the time that all this was happening. So it was her department. Um, Charles on Rwanda, I mean, that is happening right now. Like that is being fought in the courts by human rights lawyers. He, But he is also joining good company because the Archbishop of Canterbury um, and the church have also um, spoken out against this policy. So I think that they will basically... I think they'll take the view that they, you know, they will hope that a lot of people will be on their side and that, like you say, as year follows year and the history books look back, they will be smiled on for making these comments. Mm, Well, I, for one, hope that William continues to make statements like this rather than those defensive ones that were very much not a racist family or, you know, some of those other missteps is an understatement in my opinion. Um, I I hope he wades more into those waters. I hope he takes more accountability for the institution that he's a part of also, not just for what the government is. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit hopeful here, thanks to these statements he's made. Yeah, I mean, he'd say there was, you know, there was a briefing to a, I forget which UK newspaper now, but after the tour of the Caribbean, um, the press were told that there was going to be a new chapter for uh, the Duke of Cambridge and he was going to do things his way and we were going to see a new look Prince William. And so this does feel like it's that's what we're seeing. And so hopefully, like you say, we, yeah, things will change from now. But I think you've also kind of started to uh, stray towards a real uh, potential question going forward which is will he ever get as far as being able to take responsibility for the royal family's own history um, and that is the really big thorny difficult question that it, I mean you know I, I didn't expect him to say this about the Windrush scandal so uh, I, I you know I would be hard pressed to to um, to basically predict whether he will or not, but that really would be explosive if he started to get into the royal family's own past and things we've discussed on this show before, like you know previous monarchs going back to Elizabeth the first being involved in slavery and things like that. Yeah, wow. Um, he's keeping us on our toes, and I never thought I'd say that about Prince William, <laughs> but but he is. He's keeping us on our toes. And what you know, what an interesting, what an interesting series of interventions to be able to come on and have a conversation uh, about. You know, we yeah, I mean, we were back way back in March when they had that tour of the Caribbean. I mean, I never imagined we would be back so soon, uh, giving such a different appraisal of of his position on racism. And I think he, you know, 
he will have appreciated. He had, obviously, there was, I think as far back as November, there were those comments about the um, uh, the impacts of the population, human population in Africa on wildlife, which were condemned as racist. And then there was the situation about war in Ukraine, which blew up, you know, where mm. he said that he was... Oof. Yeah, exactly. He he uh, said it felt alien seeing that happen in uh, in Europe, um, and so he was accused of racism again. Then, including by Martin Luther King's daughter, um, so he has obviously taken all of this seriously and decided that he needs to nail his colours to the mast and show the world that he's yeah, like you say. I mean, you know, yeah, on the right side of history rather than the wrong side of history. Yeah. Well, keep it going, William. and on that note we are going to take a quick break but before we do a reminder to all of you out there listening we'd love it if you would rate us and review us in apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows william look down on your phone right now give us five stars when we're back megan markle's supposed bullying is back in the headlines Hi everyone, we're back with our second story of the day and it's an update on those bullying allegations levelled against Meghan Markle last year. Yes, as we all know, just days before Meghan and Harry's explosive Oprah interview, uh, an email was leaked to the Times suggesting the Duchess of Sussex bullied two personal assistants out of the royal household and shook the confidence of a third... Buckingham Palace announced it would look into the allegations and said workplace bullying would not be tolerated. However, the Sunday Times reported the findings will now not be published, which kind of goes against what we all expected. What do you make of all this, Jack? I think basically if that report was published, it would be a complete bloodbath on all sides and nobody would come out of it looking any good at all. And I think that in a situation like this, there's kind of a hierarchy of reputation where reputation is most important to the monarchy because the monarchy has to persist and preserve itself for not just years or decades, but, you know, hypothetically centuries to come. Um, And then, you know, obviously Meghan and Harry, hugely, hugely famous international figures. Reputation is very important to them as well. And then the staff, maybe a little bit less so. But I think... um, Buckingham Palace, like all of this happened at Kensington Palace, which is a a totally different place. It's a different household. It has different staff. It has potentially a different working culture, although some of the problems probably probably exist in Buckingham Palace and Clarence House too. Um, I think Buckingham Palace would have taken one look at this and thought, you know, we're just going to look awful. Like <laughs> this is going to make us look absolutely <laughs> appalling. Um, and if all, I think if every single fact, every single allegation came out, I just think it would be a complete mud fight and there would be mud over everybody is my view. What do you think, Kristen? Well, I've always found these allegations very, very suspicious. I mean, Look who's at the center of them. We have Jason Knopf, who is the, you know, uh, Kensington Palace press secretary. And he, you know, in an email said that the Duchess of Sussex did these things to these people. But then when that was revealed, the two people who supposedly were bullied by Megan said, no, we want nothing to do with this. Please retract our names. Please pull us out of this. Uh, So all of that seems so suspicious to me. So He's saying people were bullied, but then the people who he said were bullied are saying, no, we want nothing to do with this. 
So that's confusing. And then also the allegations against her in the first place never actually said what she did. They just said that, you know, she had her sights on people, that they were terrified of her and that she undermined their confidence. But none of those are actual allegations. And I have to say here, at least stateside in the U.S., uh, human resources policies are that you can't just say somebody scared you or they undermined your confidence. You have to have precise and exact language about specific incidents that the bullier did to you. So for example, this person used this racist name toward me. This person uh, threw something at my head. This person in front of the entire staff uh, berated me and told me I was a loser who should die. You know, things like this. We have to say very specifically in the U.S., if we are bullied, what does the bullying include? What were the actions? What were the words? And in this case with Megan, I always found it very suspicious because there were never any specifics around any of it. So that combined with the people at the center of the case, combined with Jason Kanoff, I, I, I just... None of it really seemed realistic, reliable, or credible to me. Yeah, so I think from I think what the palace would say is that it wasn't ever actually an investigation. Everybody in the media called it an investigation, but they, mm-hmm. I mean, they can't investigate Megan. There are not HR. You know, you talk about the situation in America, and there's a situation that's very similar in Britain. It doesn't apply to members of the royal family. You know, you cannot instigate an HR disciplinary process against a royal. It, it, it's just not a thing. Um, they're not employees of the institution. Um, so this was like a review of what happened to see what the outcome was. So the people I've spoken to on kind of, you know, both sides uh, have given me the impression that basically the whole working culture at Kensington Palace at the time was toxic and a complete mess. Um, so I think there are some people who have come away th- feeling like that literally nothing happened and the whole thing was fabricated in order to smear Megan. And I have no doubt for a minute that it was leaked at the time it was leaked in order to undermine Oprah. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. But I don't buy into the notion that nothing happened. I think that if you knew all of the facts, it would probably largely be defined by moral chaos. Um, that it, when you have a situation in a, in, a, in a company or an institution where there's a toxic culture that's developed, you know, you get things being done on all sides by everybody because it's a product of the toxic culture. And I think this is part of the reason why the palace wanted to keep it quiet because when it's self-evident that it's the culture that's the problem, it's it makes the institution look horrendous. Um, and I think basically, you know, what I, I was told was laying all the blame at Megan's door is very, very unfair. Um, but... Uh, I do think that something happened, and it's even if you only look at the things that have come out of Megan's camp, it's clear that something happened because she, her friend Janina Govanko, went on UK TV, went on ITV, and said that she happened to know why a, a member of staff ha- had to leave, and it was because of gross misconduct. So, I mean, that statement, she did that knowing, she did that with Megan's blessing and knowledge, you know, she went on TV with Megan's knowledge. Um, so that alone tells you that there was something, you know, something was happening in Kensington Palace at the time um, that was a complete mess. And um, obviously, you know, there are allegations against Megan that have been published in the UK press. Who knows the truth of any of it? But if 
you know, if somebody makes an allegation like that, uh, Megan might counter it and say it's not true. Needless to say, if you're produce, if you if what you're attempting is a hatchet job on Megan, the simple fact an allegation has been made does give you, uh, uh, you know, it gives you the potential to stick it in a report with a little bit of commentary and shove it out there. I think. I think the the reason why it's not being published is basically because it's a the whole situation was a bin fire. Um, <laughs> and, um, I think you know the, we one thing that some Sunday Times did suggest was that HR policies have been changed and some lessons have been learned, which is interesting. I would be very interested to know how they have changed their HR policies, and I could also make some suggestions for them if they <laughs> wanted to give me a call. Because basically, I mean, you look at it. For me, there's a complete continuum between this situation at Kensington Palace and Prince Andrew, which is that they're just. They need to have a situation where everybody's expectations are clear, including principals and members of the royal family. Um, and they need to uh, to create a proper system for how ro- members of the royal family deal with each other. So this all sort of blew up with Jason's email that you mentioned earlier in October 2018. But we know that there had been issues dating back much longer than that <clears throat> because um, Megan, through the information that came out through the Mail on Sunday case, um, Megan was telling Jason months earlier in August 2018 that the royals were constantly berating Prince Harry about Thomas Markle's interviews in the media. And there was also tension way back in, I think it was February 2018, at the Royal Foundation Forum where um, they all wound up sort of choking about the fact that they'd been arguing. So clearly there was there were arguments taking place between members of the royal family. Meghan at this time also said um, in a message from August 2018 that she felt that her personal styling was the only aspect of her life over which she had any control. So she's there feeling that, you know, she's now lost total control of her life because all the decisions are taken on her behalf by staff at the palace. Um, Meanwhile, the royals are berating Prince Harry over Thomas Markle, another situation she can't get under control. Then there's conflict between her and her staff. No doubt she was depressed at the time as well, as she discussed with Oprah. Um, The whole, and yeah, and so within that context also, the staff feel that they have a case that they want to make about the way that they're treated. And Megan is certainly not the first person to be in that situation. You know, Prince Andrew is notorious um, and other members of the royal family have made um, bad comments to staff members too. Uh, They need to have a system for dealing with this. Like they need to have clear expectations for principals, i.e. members of the royal family, about how they are to behave and what uh, they, they need to basically have an ethical code for royals that royals are expected to live by. Yeah. Everybody listening in the palace right now, I hope you are taking thorough notes of what Jack just suggested because, (laughs) yes, obviously, it's like you are not just entitled people who, by the will of God through your bloodline, are allowed to, you know, just uh, treat people like they're less than you. Like, you know, even if they are your staff, to just... Treat them the way Andrew has famously treated his staff members. He, he has been terrible to them. We've talked about it on the show before. Um, and yet I can see where after a thousand years of this family, you know, being in the palace that they might feel that they're entitled to treat people like they're less than them. And that's been part of their MO from the get-go because they are in a hierarchical position. I mean – they're the king and the queen and they're the princesses and the princes. Of course, they are on, you know, a higher playing field with way more money than everybody else. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I would agree with you, Jack. It would be great if there were more systems and rules and agreements in place about how to treat staff who are reporting to the royals. That being said, I, I got to say, I still find it, you know, suspicious. Everything about Meghan Markle supposedly bullying came out, as we said, right before the Oprah interview was broadcast. So it really did feel like a smear campaign at the time. So why was that so carefully timed? Why was that made public at that moment? But now it's just being left hanging. And a lot of journalists, um, prior guests that we've had on the show, including Christopher Boozy, have said that it just looks a little bit odd. You know, Christopher Boozy wrote on Twitter, why announce you are launching a probe into the Meghan Markle bullying claims but refuse to release the findings of the probe? Seems like they didn't find anything and they are too embarrassed to admit nothing was found. And uh, Christopher Boozy wasn't the only one to say that. Lots and lots of, you know, journalists and other people online have been questioning, like, you made it such a big hullabaloo to say that she was doing something wrong, but you won't ever, you know, give us a conclusion to this big story. Yeah, they they went in quite um hard in their uh initial statement and they were they were careful mm-hmm. not to use the word investigation, but they said obviously bullying is taken extremely seriously and won't be tolerated, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um but one thing one thing I was thinking about, just remembering back, is the Queen's if you remember the Queen's response to Oprah, um there was quite an interesting line in it where she said, um that it was interesting to learn for the first time the full extent of Harry and Meghan's experiences. And I did also wonder whether there might have been certain things in the Oprah interview that the that certain members of the royal family didn't actually know themselves. Um, and that in the aftermath, they uh, might have decided that, you know, they, they might have basically heard another side to the story that they hadn't heard before during Oprah. Um, and that might also have influenced a decision to kind of kick the whole thing under the carpet. Um, you know, I think I just go back again to that point about the three households. So you have Kensington Palace is where basically the bomb went off and, you know, all the nuclear fallouts was at Kensington Palace, all the bitterness and mutual recriminations and people disliking one another um my over at buckingham palace you know the queen's in the final chapter of her reign she's just had her platinum jubilee like i kind of think she 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 just doesn't want to she doesn't she doesn't want any of this she doesn't want to deal with any of it (laughs) prince charles is looking forward to becoming king which is actually going to happen really like probably not going to be that long anymore is it i mean um obviously everybody will hope that the queen is with us for as long as possible but charles will also he's already taking on more king duties he's out in rwanda right now for the commonwealth heads of government meeting um and he is he's looking again to the next chapter he he will want a smooth transition to becoming king and if this report were to come out and there were to be any hint of a whisper of a criticism of Meghan and harry Obviously, that would just cause the whole bust-up to flare up again. Harry and Meghan would be very upset. Harry's memoir's coming late at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, let's be honest, they would return fire. But also, a lot of the Kensington Palace staff who will have submitted evidence to this to this review, a lot of them are actually ex-staff, and they don't work for KP anymore. And they are not necessarily people who you can completely definitively control. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, Harry and Meghan came to Europe for the Invictus Games. They sat down with the Queen. They sat down with Prince Charles. They met them both. 
My sources were telling me that Charles really enjoyed seeing not just Harry, but Meghan as well and hearing news of their kids. You know, we had Prince Charles giving an olive branch to Prince Harry in his essay for Newsweek as well that he did at the beginning of the year. Um, Harry and Meghan have always made it clear that their beef is not with the Queen. But we have seen absolutely no hint of a whisper of any kind of olive branch uh, coming from William, who is obviously at Kensington Palace. For me, this is a Kensington Palace dispute. It's a Kensington Palace falling out. And the review was launched by Buckingham Palace. And I suspect that what happened is they got into it, looked at the whole thing, and the Queen would have just said, what, what, what are you asking me to do here? Like, you know, <laughs> blow up my own, pa- you'd blow up my own household. <laughs> like this, none of this happened in Buckingham Palace and none of it happened in Clarence House. And I don't think that those two members of the royal family who are the most senior have any interest in reigniting massive, you know, intercontinental warfare with the Sussexes at a point when they have two very clear points of focus. The Queen just wants a nice end to her reign and Charles wants a nice start to his. Wow. I can see where they're coming from, but yeah, I also totally understand all the Sussex supporters who now are scratching their heads. Because they want answers too, right? They want the report published because from their point of view, they feel it's going to exonerate Meghan and Harry. People who hate Meghan and Harry want it published because they think it's going to torture Meghan. Um, And, you know, in all honesty, I actually think the mandate of democratic accountability is that it probably should be published because we deserve as, you know, a population to have closure one way or another on what actually happened and to know whether there are really serious problems within a public institution. But, you know, from the royal family's point of view, they're they're protecting their reputations, basically, is what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope they change their minds (laughs) because I agree with you. I would love, I would just love to see, you know, the final chapter of this story. Like, I I just feel like, you know, they they started a story and then before they finished the book, they just threw it in the trash. And it's like, hey, tell us, tell us how this ends. Tell us how this ends. Yeah. And the other like slight, and this is a bit left of field, but the other slight possible hypothetical theory that I had is that, they might also have actually just been trying to get some of the ex-KP staffers to stop briefing the media because um, <laughs> they, what they did was they created a means that these uh, former employees could all vent their spleens to the review, fully believing that it would all wind up in the public domain in a great big hatchet job takedown of Megan, which was how it was kind of, you know, everybody at the time felt that that's what it was going to be, didn't they? Like everybody thought mm-hmm. the powers were going to pile in on Megan. But in doing so, they got them all to shut up. And in the meantime, uh, you know, the Queen and Charles have perhaps negotiated a form of peace with Harry and Meghan and sidelined the, uh, you know, all these people who, you know, they might well have been going to the Daily Mail and the Sun if they hadn't, if they hadn't been going to the re- review into the bullying allegations. Yeah, I suppose. But again, publish the report, you cowards. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take one more quick break now. But before we do, a reminder to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston and Kristen is at Kristen Meinzer. We always have royal updates there as well as my latest stories for Newsweek. And when we're back, is Harry really a bigger threat to the monarchy than Prince Andrew? Hi, everyone. We are back with one last quick hit courtesy of royal biographer Tina Brown. 
Yes, speaking to Bloomberg's In the City podcast, Brown discussed who has the potential to cause greater problems for the royal family moving into the future. And surprise, despite her criticisms of Prince Andrew, she said Harry is the bigger issue. Yes. <laughs> In her words, I think Harry is a bit more of a problem because you never quite know what he's going to do next. He keeps them all on the back foot wondering where the bombs come from. Really, Tina? Really? <laughs> it's really? a bold statement. <laughs> we do like people who come out and nail their colours to the mast, I suppose. So I'll give her that. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I think that she, yeah, she definitely also could have thought about her phrasing here. I mean, Andrew <laughs> must surely have done more damage to the monarchy than anybody in the age since beheading stopped, I would say. <laughs> if I can say that without being too blunt <laughs> or sharp, perhaps. Oh, my gosh. I just, yeah, like, we're talking about being involved in an international sex crimes investigation versus what has Harry done? He's He stepped back from senior royal duties. He talked to Oprah. He, I don't know, he, he, he rode in a double-decker bus with James Corden. What's the problem here that he has done that is anywhere near as terrible as what Prince Andrew's been involved in. It's just so ludicrous to me. It's just so beyond. I, uh, the one thing I will give her is that Harry and Meghan are a debate in the sense that people come out and defend Harry and Meghan in a way that nobody comes out and defends Prince Andrew. You can't defend Prince Andrew. He's indefensible. So in that sense, I guess, there's kind of like more of an argument about Harry and Meghan, whereas with Andrew, it's just one straight thing. Everybody hates him. But there was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there's a, there's a, there was a song. I don't know if this traveled over the Atlantic and, and whether people came across it in America, but there's a song that was released over over the course of the Platinum Jubilee that I don't even know if I can legally say its name. Um, but it's uh, basically, it was about Prince Andrew and uh, the first words of the song title were Prince Andrew is a sweaty and then I, j- I don't think I can legally say what the what the final word is. But it was in the charts. <laughs> like it, it went, you know, it went viral. Um, it's this punk band who then did a follow-up version about the Jubilee, uh, which it was called F the Jubilee. I mean, like he's, you know, it's a real, it's a real thing that literally everybody in Britain, um, you know, hates Prince Andrew and it's, it's, it's turned, it's turned Britain and the monarchy into a laughing stock. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I I loved the book. I thought the palace papers was brilliant. I, you know, it's fascinating. Obviously it's a perspective. Nobody has to necessarily agree with everything in it, but it's very interesting to read, um, and very well researched. Um, but yeah, this did, I have to admit, it jumped off the page to me as soon as I saw it. And I was like, oh, this is Tina Brown saying this. <laughs> there are people who I could see saying that, but I didn't imagine it would be Tina Brown. Yeah. I mean, I thought it would be the editorial staff of the Daily Mail, perhaps. Well, or... I was thinking maybe GB News. I thought this was kind of like GB News. Oh, territory. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but nope, right there on that Bloomberg podcast, there it was. Tina. I love that it was Bloomberg as well. Yes. That she did it with. It's like the most straight down the line, <laughs> the most straight down the line agency. But yeah, okay, Bloomberg, fair enough. Well, Tina, you're keeping yourself and your new biography in the news. So um, I, I, I guess that's a win for you, Tina Brown. <laughs> and that is it for this episode of the royal report be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines embark on some royal deep dives and riff on all things royal until next time i'm kristen meinzer 
And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.